With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. I'm one of your regular hosts, Gregory Bosco, and with me as always is good old Derek. Derek, say hi for the fans out there. Hey everybody, how is it going? And we're back, we had to take a week off, I had some uh, technical difficulties, we had some scheduling conflicts, some calendar conflicts, but we're back. And before we dive into the episode, uh, just to give a quick Little a little idea of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about like the tones of Trek and how it varies from the original series to next gen, the, the various TV shows and movies, how Star Trek, the the content and the artwork and such have changed based on technology and audience interests and such. But we also want to open up with some news. We usually throw a few pieces of news out there uh, when we start every episode. We're not going to really talk about as much about that CBS lawsuit stuff that's going on. It's important because it's a lawsuit, but it's been covered by a lot of other people, and so we're not going to rehash that ground. But we do want to talk about the whole Paramount, CBS, Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth stuff. So, Derek, what what are your thoughts on, on this kind of discussion, especially the quote you just read before we started recording? Right, so I guess I'll, I'll read that again here in a second. So, uh, Star Trek Four or fourteen for those of you who are keeping count, um, was originally uh, expected to focus on Captain Kirk and him meeting his father, George Kirk, who was played by Chris Hemsworth in the two thousand nine film. And you know that'd be some combination of either time travel or alternate realities. You know, we weren't really sure. Well, it's basically been reported that the negotiations between chris pine and paramount and chris hemsworth and paramount are uh stalled basically those two actors are uh, looking for more money than paramount the studio is willing to pay um there's a lot of reasons for that chris hemsworth of course is a big marvel actor now being thor with ragnarok being a, a massive success and his character uh, doing what it did in infinity war which I don't, i'm not going to spoil for anybody here um you know so there's there's a lot revolving around him and then of course chris pine has been kirk for quite some time and there are rumors that paramount had actually asked him to take a pay cut for his fourth installment of the film and that's basically because beyond did not do particularly well at the box office so if you look at the full box office numbers, it made uh, just over $343 million worldwide. Yeah, that's that's a pretty low number, even for a basic sci-fi movie these days. It, it is, and that was a budget of $185 million, which uh, that's a, a bigger budget than a movie like Suicide Squad. Um, it's close to the budget that a Star Wars film, a, a modern Star Wars film gets, um, the, the uh, Skywalker Saga films, that is. Um, you know, not, it's not the top of the top, you know, movies like 
uh, Batman versus Superman and Captain America Civil War and Infinity War got 250 a piece, but you're talking about much bigger uh, scoped films. So, you know, it didn't do particularly well if you, you know, look at just like it's all time gross. I mean, domestically it, it did come in third, but a lot of that is because of, you know, time, right? If you adjust it for inflation, Beyond actually falls down to number eight of 13. So, um, Either way, that those talks have kind of broken down, and so uh, Addie Shanker, who is a producer on Star Trek IV, uh, was quoted saying uh, in an interview with Screen Rant that, uh, quote, losing Pine and Kirk is not a big deal and kind of cool. Actors don't matter. Stories do. This is the universe presenting an opportunity to, an opportunity to do something different and boldly go where no suits have gone before, end quote. Uh, Greg, what are your thoughts? You know, that it sounds like a damage control quote that, hey, things are fine, we're still going to move ahead. But it that's one heck of a statement that actors and actresses, and I, I get what they're saying. They're not trying to say that them as people don't matter. They're, they're trying to say they don't matter for the story that they're working on. But I continue to go back to the Gandalf example that we've talked about. You know, originally it was going to be Sean Connery or whatever, and they ended up with Ian McKellen, who is probably one of the most beloved characters in the past 25 years of cinema history. Everybody knows Gandalf. Everybody knows Ian McKellen. There's a certain value to having that consistency and that kind of acting capability. And there's also the fact that I thought Chris Pine legitimately had good charisma and and, um, engagement with the other cast and crew, especially Mm -hmm. in Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek Beyond was my favorite of the three new films. It was the most Star Trek to me. Uh, I know it didn't do as well because I didn't even see it in the theater because the trailer just annoyed the heck out of me. <laughs> but then, you know, talking to you and all my other Star Trek friends, they're like, no, you have to watch it. I watched it. I bought it on Blu-ray and uh, then I bought a streaming version so I could have it on my tablet because the Blu-ray didn't have one. So I actually bought it twice. But I, I'm not I'm not too thrilled with them saying oh, things are OK. We can move on and we could take chances or whatever. I'm like, chances are good, but sometimes there's no harm in playing it safe either yeah i mean i love beyond i thought beyond was really quite good uh definitely my favorite of the kelvin films but actually one of my more enjoyed of the the star trek films as a whole i think that they finally found their rhythm their their groove um and it's one thing to claim that you could recast kirk you know maybe saying that you know because it was shatner and now it's pine it could be somebody else uh, that's one thing that that's a that's one conversation but to say that you don't need kirk in a film that takes place on his enterprise i think that's a very different type of statement i mean if you look at the history of star trek you know killing off spock meant two more movies just to bring him back and kirk was in generations and you know to bridge that gap um star trek's about that main crew those main characters and it's about the relationship of the captain to the ship most of the time Uh, not always of course in shows like deep space nine and discovery but kirk first and foremost it's his ship and the whole point of beyond i mean if you watch beyond the whole point is that he's thinking about leaving the captain's chair at the beginning of the film and by the end of the movie he and spock are back ready to go out there on the a so are you going to ignore the third film? Are you going to do something drastic off screen? They already have to deal with the very unfortunate Anton Yelchin situation with Chekhov. Um, 
removing Kirk from the equation over money, I think, creates a, a, a significant problem that they would have to overcome. Uh, aside from the fact that the script that was based on this whole Kirk meeting Kirk scenario would have to be thrown out the window. Well, yeah, and plus the other issue I have with the quote is it almost it's almost disingenuous, and I'm not saying that they're lying to the fans. What I mean by disingenuous is they're talking about how we can focus on the story and kind of do be our focus on the creativity. That's fine, but you can't say that two weeks after you just announced that Patrick Stewart's returning as Captain Picard. Because everybody's admitting he was Captain Picard. It's important to bring him back. We want to tell the story of Captain Picard. And then two weeks later, you know, the guy playing James T. Kirk doesn't come, doesn't want to come back right now for money. And they're like, well, we'll be fine. I'm like, that's kind of, it's kind of a conflicting statement there. I mean, maybe that has something to do with the disconnect between Paramount and CBS, right? Because... CBS controls CBS All Access, Discovery, this Picard show, anything else that they may be doing on TV. Paramount's just the movies and the Kelvin universe. So maybe True. this shows that Star Trek really does belong on television in some form where you focus on the characters. Because at the end of the day, like this quote, actors don't matter, stories do. I do agree that the stories are important, but it's because Star Trek is successful when the characters are well-written, when the characters are well-developed, when they have growth. And then on top of that, when they're well-acted. I mean, when you think of some of these iconic characters, the actor is synonymous with them. And to say that the actors don't matter, I think, is a pretty big statement because then why bother ever hiring an A-list actor? Always hire somebody new that you don't have to pay a lot then. Yeah, it's it's exactly what it's it's like the animated films these days that they don't really go for voice talent as much or singing talent. They go for brand name recognition mm-hmm. when they probably should be for the most part focusing on voice actors and all that kind of jazz. And it's the same thing with this is you go for the people with the talent when Chris Pine obviously has it. I mean, everybody respects him and usually enjoys him as Kirk. And then to say, well, the actors don't matter. It's like, eh, that's kind of you, you want to go with the people that have that mesh well with the rest of the crew that are meaningful, that have an impact. And it's like saying Leonard Nimoy is Spock doesn't matter. I'm like, that's, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I'm with you. So I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens here. Uh, obviously this film feels like it's a ways off. Um, I would imagine that even 2020 would be pretty optimistic at this point, uh, for the next installment, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, a four-year gap is not, you know, what you really want. But um, I want a good movie. I want it to be good, and I want it to be not rushed. So that's that's that. Um, the only other piece of news that we're really going to cover here is tangential to Star Trek. It actually has to do with the Heroes Podcast Network, which we are a part of as Red Shirts and Runabouts. Uh, we have a new show joining the network this week. It just launched its first three episodes on Monday, and it is called Echo Station, which is a Star Wars podcast hosted by uh, uh, House of Turner Cosplay, who is a co-host on our Costume Couture web series, and Chris Jade, who uh, she is a member of Another Castle Creations, which is a cosplay group uh, here in the Kansas City area where we live. And so they launched a new show, and... Greg, I know uh, while Star Trek may be our first love, we're both pretty big Star Wars fans. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the nice thing I love about the network is we're all, most of us are dedicated to a show or two, but we're definitely cross-genre fans. I love Star Wars. I make a lot of Star Wars costumes. And, you know, it's the Star Wars fan base is so unique in opinions on on shows and such. And that's fine. That's good. You know, sometimes discussion can be a good thing. Sometimes not always. But yeah, I'm definitely a, a pretty big Star Wars fan. Yeah, uh, I'm really looking forward to, to this new show. So it's, it's available now. Uh, if you go to heroespodcast.com, the first three episodes are live right now. Um, they talked a bit about episode nine, uh, Clone Wars, and then they did, they did a review of the solo film. Um, so you can go check those out. It's on iTunes and Google Play right now. And uh, before we go on to our main topic, we're just going to take a short break so you can hear a little promo from our friends at Echo Station. Are you with the Force? Is the Force with you? Well, the Force is with us over at the Echo Station Podcast, a new Star Wars series from the Heroes Podcast Network. Join us in a galaxy not so far away every other Monday as we discuss everything Star Wars from the original films through the whole EU. So pour yourself some blue milk and get cozy in that tauntaun with the Echo Station Podcast. Find out more at heroespodcast.com. And we are back. Hopefully you enjoyed the little clip of Echo Station. Go give them some love, try them out, uh, give them some feedback. They're pretty solid people. We enjoy working with them. But now we're going to dive into our topic, which Derek and I and and Jeremy, when Jeremy's still on a break, but the three of us have been talking about this for some time, is doing an episode on the tones of Trek. And no, not the music, even though we're big fans of the music. We're kind of discussing how the various tones and atmospheres change from show to show because each show definitely has its thing you know and and that's what we're going to talk about the difference between the original series and next generation for example where the original series had a little bit of a campy feel because that was very common for the 60s and they didn't hide it they played it up you know the costume the one the one alien that was just a dog with like a horn strapped to its head (laughs) i mean they they knew what they were doing they knew what they were playing with and they used it but they didn't hide from it and Next Generation, which obviously came in much more serious. So that's kind of what we're going to be discussing. And, you know, we've got notes, we've got feedback and comments, but this is going to be a little bit more of a flexible kind of show because we're going to be kind of comparing the, the tones from one ser- one episode or one series. All right. One series of Trek to another. So that's why we're going to have the flexibility in there. But Derek, of all the shows, which one do you think was where trek and like in my opinion it's next generation which of the shows do you think is when trek really became like the serious show that it's kind of been viewed on ever since well it's man it's such a good topic i love this because when when somebody comes to me and they're like look i don't really watch star trek i've seen you know maybe a couple of movies or a few episodes here and there if i want to get into it where do i start um because i think it's very daunting you know, a 50 plus year franchise, six TV shows, 13 films, you know, seven, was it 744 episodes? I think we're at, at this point, um, you know, you're talking over 700 hours of content. That's a tough thing to get into. Whereas like, you know, you and I, Greg, like we were basically born with this. Um, <laughs> yeah, we grew up with uh, it. And so I, uh, I try to define each show as, kind of encompassing its its general tone for people and so that way i can say well it depends what you're into and then i describe each show i think you're right that tng is kind of the um the gold standard that the average 
Trekkie holds the franchise to. And the way, the reason I, I say that is uh, obviously the original series is incredibly important. There would not be any other Star Trek without it. Um, but being in 1966, um, it had a very particular tone, a style, um, you know, that was not necessarily intended for the show uh, originally. That um, was not what Gene Roddenberry really had in mind at the end of the day. And TNG was his first opportunity to do exactly what he wanted on TV. Um, I know a lot of people say that Deep Space Nine is the best of the shows and there's a there's legitimate reasons for that. But that's not what Gene Roddenberry's image of Star Trek was. Um, and we'll get to that when we talk about Deep Space Nine. So I think if you want to say what is the most Star Trek show, I think it's TNG. I think it being episodic, it focusing on us creating more of a utopia, of us getting along, of us... Uh, celebrating each other's differences of being the best version of ourselves and exploring the unknown and taking it head on in a educated, knowledgeable, sophisticated way is what Gene Roddenberry always wanted Star Trek to be. Yeah. I mean, I can't agree with you more. And I love that. I say that loving the original series, but the original series is what it is. It had limitations. It had budgetary issues. Uh, but I will say what, what I love about the original series is in between all the camp, which was great camp. It's how camp should be done. Is the the stuff that they started tackling with the first inter, you know first main screen interracial kiss on TV in North America. I mean that's Star Trek. You know there's the episode with you know the characters with the the I can't even think the name of it. Uh, Let this be our last battlefield, I think. Mm-hmm. Where uh, mm-hmm. they have the multicolored faces and the colors are swapped yep. on each side, and it's like a that's obviously a discussion on racism, which in the sixties, nobody was really doing that on TV, not at least not very well. And Star Trek took a shot at it and Star Trek did very well. Our, the original series did, but yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still with you. The next generation is when it really hit its stride and it's, it's that gold standard now. Yeah. And I think that's the key, right? That, um, you know, the original series. So maybe, maybe we should start chronologically uh, with that. Because you, you made some really good points. So Let This Be Your Last Battlefield is, is an iconic episode now. Um, but it was. The whole thing's an allegory for racism. Because a lot of people don't like being told what to think. But if you can wrap it up in analogy and metaphor, you can sneak concepts and philosophies into pop culture for people. And that's what's something Star Trek has done for a very long time, going back to the original show. And even when it was something as simple as not only having a woman on the bridge, but having a black woman on the bridge, that sadly was a big deal in the 60s. Um, it's still a pro- it's still a big deal today when, you know, Sneak when Martin Green was cast. People, for some strange reason, still had problems with that. Um, and the original series took it upon themselves to try and show an ideal. And that was Roddenberry's concept, right? You had... Uh, a Japanese man on the bridge, which, you know, our, our enemy from World War II. And you had a Russian on the bridge, you know, our enemy for the Cold War. Um, and you had, uh, you know, an alien on the bridge, too, who was supposed to represent everything foreign and strange to us. Um, and then, of course, Uhura as, as the black woman on the bridge was a very big deal, too. That diversity um, 
while obviously we can be more diverse now, was a new thing for the original series. And while it was all wrapped in, up in a, as a sci-fi western, it was always trying to tell a moral, tell a story that you could learn something from. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. And the the, t- the excuse me, the chances they took, the casting they chose, even a bunch of the stories they they put on air. The, the allegories of the conflicts with the Klingons and the Romulans is, you know, kind of very similar to American history, where we had a lot of violent conflict with basically everybody around us. I mean, it's, and I'm not just talking early American history. I'm talking about even, obviously, there's all that kind of stuff, but that's a separate topic. But it's it's very comparable, and they're kind of, he's kind of showing that in Star Trek, as if the Federation is trying to be better than what it is. It's trying to be this utopia almost. But they're still having problems. They're still having to react to external threats, but they're trying to do it in a way that doesn't constantly cause like outright conflict. Even mm-hmm. though they have fought wars in the original series and they talk about wars they have fought, it's you know there are plenty of episodes where you know if we do this we risk war. We should find another option. It's like they're trying to find a solution outside of what the standard response would be. I mean, how many times have we been watching an episode and we're like, just blow the Klingons up or blow the Romulans up. What are you doing? <laughs> but then you think about it, like they're trying to be what the Federation's trying to do. Yeah. A balance of terror is a, is a great example of that where, I mean, it's basically talking about the cold war, right? We have this, this neutral zone that nobody is allowed to go into and, you know, defending yourself or firing the first shot could lead to an all-out war where millions upon millions will die and that all that pressure is put on the shoulders of kirk uh, and the crew of the enterprise and the concept of not acting rashly or acting irrationally where you take a moment to think about the consequences of what those actions may be and how far into the future those ramifications might might reach um, was huge and tng focuses on that quite a bit uh just without kind of the western undertones uh that the original series had um tng was a little more sterile i know that that's one of its biggest complaints is how sterile it was you had you know the original series is a a little more normal as far as like the characters right they're they're everyday sort of people you know, Scotty likes to drink, and uh, Uhura is a singer, and you know, Sulu fences. Like these are like relatively normal people who have hobbies and interests um, of their own. Whereas you get to TNG, and everybody is so perfect that their flaws are really just them being too perfect in a particular area, um, and that that kind of grinded people the wrong way. No, I'm with you on that, and I've complained about the perfection of Next Generation, and the characters in the original series, I kind of relate to, I at least understand more, because like you said, they they feel like real people, they feel like they have flaws. Uh, I know there's always been that huge discussion of the sexism that exists in the original series, and Shatner, and all this stuff, and while, sure, there's, there's definitely some of it, I get what they were doing with William Shatner as... As an attractive male actor, he's captain of a ship. I get them kind of making him that 60s swinger type thing. That doesn't surprise me. It doesn't mean, you know, there's plenty of episodes where I'm like, really, dude? It's like three minutes into the episode. What are you doing? But I get what they're trying to do. But I also kind of view it as like almost like a character flaw for him because he's never been able to settle down. He's never been able to have a family. And the reason I bring that up is because then he gets into the movies 
And the older he gets, you can tell even in Wrath of Khan when he's talking to Spock and, you know, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Is that a message, Spock? And the older he gets, the more you can kind of tell he's looking back on his past and he's not always happy. He's not happy with what happened with the son. He's not happy with with what happened to Carol Marcus. And, you know, I did what you want. I stayed away. He said, I did what you wanted, not what I wanted. And mm-hmm. I, I like that because he's older, he's wiser. We see him as a young, swashbuckling kind of captain to the movies. He's older, he's more mature, he's had trouble, he's had challenges. And you see, I like that kind of character growth. He's not just, he's not womanizing in the middle of Star Trek Undiscovered Country, unless you count, you know, on Pente, but I don't know if that really counts. <laughs> but yeah, then you get to you get to Next Generation and... I mean, the the characters have flaws, but, you know, Riker's the best shuttle pilot, and he's a good musician, and he's great at hand-to-hand combat, and he's a, he's a great commanding officer, and he's a great first officer, and he he's charming and all this stuff. And then you're like, what what are Riker's flaws? The way he sits down? Because he's that goofy, <laughs> the goofy movie does over the chairs, and... That's the Riker maneuver? The Riker maneuver, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the people with the most flaws are arguably Worf and... But that's just it, though. Yeah. Like when you think about it, like, okay, let's let's talk about some of the flaws of our TNG characters. Um, Jordy is blind, but his visor makes him see better than anybody else on the ship that saved the day countless times, right? Um, you know, Data may not be able to grasp emotion and uh, human idiosyncrasies early on, but he's also faster, smarter, stronger, you know, than anybody else on the ship. Worf. I mean, what what is Worf's weakness? I mean, he's a little aggressive, but as far as Klingons go, he's honorable, he's strong, he's intelligent, he's loyal. I mean, what what is Worf's flaw? Yeah, I mean, the only flaw you might be able to say is arrogance compared to compared to the Starfleet officers he serves with. But that for a Klingon, he's like not arrogant. He's mm-hmm. mild mannered. Uh, what kind of what Guinan call him? Tame. And he yes, started he started laughing. Does. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you when you really, really consider the characters, they don't have those character flaws that truly stand out. And I know I keep referencing Game of Thrones on the podcast, but Game of Thrones characters feel real because so many of them have problems. So mm-hmm. many of them have flaws like real humans do. And that's why so many people can watch that show, whether you like the storylines or not. You can relate to some of the characters for their challenges and what they're going through and you dislike them for real reasons and then you dislike somebody and then you start liking them and you're like, what the hell is this? But that's what happens with people. They grow and they continue developing. You know, Derek, you and I, we're not the same now at 35, 36 that we were at 25, 26. And that's okay. That's what normal character growth is. And, you know, you look at the next generation characters, you look at them from the show to the movies and it's almost like completely different people developed like some of the characters you know Picard becoming an action hero Riker being more willing to be like rebellious and disobey orders and all this stuff and I'm like who are these characters well so I think that's interesting to touch on because I think I think that Picard had to become the action star because Star Trek doesn't do as well on the big screen because you need something intense and large and world ending for them to do otherwise why is it a movie right 
And you're not going to get away with doing, you know, the one with the whales in, you know, 1997 or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, he becomes a bit of an action star, but at the same time, First Contact is considered one of the best Star Trek films, uh, certainly the best of the TNG crew. And for Riker, I actually see Riker's character as being really consistent because keep in mind, he is now by First Contact and in, especially by like Insurrection um when he you know totally ignores the admiral's orders um by that point he's been first officer of the enterprise for 11 years maybe more by that point and has been offered the captain's chair multiple times and has decided that being the the xo for the flagship is the best place to be he he respects authority to an extent right he respects picard he, he trusts Picard and will follow Picard's orders, but to a point, because he is, he is his own man. He is his own person who has grown into being a commanding officer. So when in Insurrection, because I really love Insurrection quite a bit, uh, when Picard, you know, is going to go down to the planet and go all rogue, you know, and he, he tells them all to go back to their posts and he just, Riker says, no uniform, no orders. That's not Riker being disrespectful you know, and not following orders or being a rebel, that's Riker being there for who's really his mentor and friend. I'll give you that. Maybe it's just, maybe it's my own personal bias because I really enjoyed First Contact, but I just didn't care for the rest. I actually preferred Nemesis over Insurrection, and I can't believe I'm saying that on a podcast. <laughs> um, but, but maybe it's because Nemesis has Dina Meyer in it playing a Romulan, and I'm a huge fan of Dina Meyer, the actress. And no, not just because she's attractive. It's because I actually like her in the role. She, she gets cast in good roles for her as an actress. Yeah. Uh, and she play, came to Planet Comic Con a few years ago and was pretty fantastic. Uh, oh, I missed that. That's but, a shame. But no, and I, so I'll give you that on some of the characters. I, I think I think maybe my my big problem was, or my, my con- the comparison was, the, the original series characters from movies to show are basically, or show to movies are basically almost the same. I mean, Spot, yes. Scotty's not drinking as much, but that's because James Doohan, you know, got older like people do. <laughs> but there's still a there's still a scene in Star Trek Undiscovered Country. Uh, I don't know if you remember when they're they're investigating. Uh, spoiler alert for Star Trek Six: Undiscovered Country when they're investigating <laughs> the uniforms and the blood spatter and everything. And Scotty, uh, so they're talking about Azad Boer, the new Chancellor, and. Or chancelloress? I don't know. I don't know what the feminine word for chancellor is. I think it's just chancellor. But they're uh, they're discussing it, and Scott actually says to to Spock, I think, "I bet that Klingon bitch killed her own father." And I remember, oh god, yeah, I remember thinking that I was like, "That is Scotty from uh, Trouble with Triples." That's exactly that's you know that's Scotty because he hated Klingons for insulting the Enterprise, and the dude just never forgot it. I do think though that a big difference is. When TOS became the movies, the Star Trek universe was still tonally the same. But by the time TNG got to the films, the Dominion War was already happening or had happened. And the Dominion War, the Maquis, uh, these events were very dark, uh, really against gene roddenberry type concepts and i think that that altered the franchise because it was no longer this happy-go-lucky bright future it was dark 
dozens of ships destroyed, millions of people dead, terrorist factions, and you know, Cisco nuking a planet's atmosphere and, and stuff like that. All right, let's t- um, let's talk about that. Let's jump to DS Nine then, especially because okay. DS Nine started when Next Generation was still on the air. Yes, and which was obviously the first time that it happened in Star Trek, having two shows on simultaneously. And you're right because the tone of DS Nine. The first couple seasons, you're getting to kind of know the characters, and they're still trying to feel their way around. Uh, so many people love Cisco and still talk about Cisco, but you're right because when they start getting involved with the Geminar and in, in the Dominion, that show took a really, really dark turn pretty fast. It's Deep Space Nine. So okay, so if we if we talk about the characters for a moment, right? So they're all flawed characters, right? You've got Cisco, who is emotionally distraught and depressed because he lost his wife in Wolf 359, and he has a lot of anger and aggression and hatred towards Picard. He's trying to be a single parent. Um, he's given this space station that's not really a Federation station, and he's given no support. But at the same time, he's considered you know an emissary for a religion he does not believe in um, and is pushed to the limits all the time. You know, Kira is uh, a hothead who is a resistance fighter who now has to try and follow Federation protocol. But she, you know, when the show starts, couldn't care less about Federation protocol. She wants to protect her people. Um, you know, O'Brien's trying to fix a, sh- a station that's falling apart and mostly Cardassian. Can't even make a cup of coffee, you know. Uh, Bashir, of course, is just insufferable early on in the show, uh, you know. Um but when they're when they get to do what they wanted to do, when TNG's doing the movies and Voyager launched, and no one was really paying as close attention, and Deep Space Nine had the opportunity to to go darker, that I think changed the course of the franchise. It made it more real. It made it more relatable. You had you had conflict of spiritual spirituality, religion culture differences you had terrorism you had war um imposters with the founders taking over high level positions in you know the the federation klingon empire and the romulan empire you know you it was a dark twisted time for star trek that pushed the envelope of of television storytelling and i think that that seeped into the final three films of tng yeah and i know one of the complaints of ds9 is how it, it feels like during battle, some of the ships are like made of glass. And I get it. I get, we don't like seeing our favorite Klingon ships get destroyed because the Klingons are supposed to have fantastic ships. And same thing with Starfleet vessels are supposed to be durable and tough. I think that was a purposeful decision to continue showing how powerful the Dominion was. Cause early on in the war, Federation shields are basically useless almost. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, those first few seasons, as you're getting to know the characters, I find myself cause DS nine, and Next Generation are my top one and two, and they constantly change depending on which one I'm watching. But DS9 is another perfect example where character growth is reinforced throughout the show. You know, you have Ben Sisko who comes on board. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't care for the station. He wants to end his career. He doesn't like Picard for what happened to Wolf 359. That's a normal human response. Even if you're telling somebody, you know, Ben, I... You know, he was the cutest of Borg. You have no reason to be mad at him. The human brain doesn't work that way. The human brain's going to associate that person with the loss of his wife. 
that's a human reaction. That is a very human response. I think most people would have. And putting that in next next generation, putting that in DS nine gave him character, gave him stuff to work towards and work over. And it was part of the opening episode was half of the opening episode was him dealing with his wife's loss. Biggie being a single father, you know, watching his son make become friends with Nog. And he wasn't too thrilled with that at first. He's like, because they still didn't trust Ferengi. And then you get to know Quark, and you get to know Rom, and you get to go, you get to know Nog. And how many of us ever thought that we would say one of the favorite characters of DS9 was Garrick? But so many people love a Cardassian Taylor. He did horrible mm-hmm. stuff in his past. And I've always argued that I thought Gal Dukat was a great villain. Because oh, yeah. he's the kind of villain that truly thinks... You have no right to be mad at me. I'm doing good for Cardassia. I'm doing good for my people, Commander Sisko, just like you are for yours. A villain like that truly can dominate the screen. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And it's DS9, the, the battles, I can get, I understand the complaints, but I love the battle scenes. I love the wars. I love seeing galaxy class ships dominate Dominion and Cardassian ships because. For 10 years, they kept telling us how powerful the Enterprise and the Galaxy-class ships were, and we never really got to see it. Mm-hmm. And we start to get to see that stuff, and there's nothing wrong with sometimes giving the fans what they want. And I think part of that was that. It was like you said, the, the producers and Ronald Moore, who was heavily involved in Star Trek, who ended up going on to the new reimagined Battlestar, he could see the trends. He knew what people were wanting. He wanted to get more action on screen. Why not do it? With a cast and crew that can do it. They fit the roles. Kira's been fighting a war since what? Nine, she was nine, I think it was. Nine or ten. And she killed her first Cardassian at what? Twelve? She was built for combat. Jedzia, the, the symbiont Dax, has been in an innumerable amount of wars. Chief O'Brien has been in conflict for 20 years. So they had a cast built for combat. And they used it. I thought it was a good idea. Yeah, I mean, some of these characters that you touched on, like Nog and Garrick, are so those those were so new to Star Trek, but ended up being these incredible characters. I mean, Nog turns into the first Ferengi in in, in Starfleet and gets injured during the war. I mean, he becomes was essentially a war hero in the show and the first of of his kind to be in Starfleet. It's a huge accomplishment for a character that when the show first started just seemed like a annoying friend, you know. <laughs> um, and later he becomes his own character that outgrows a lot of what's going on around him, even outgrows his, you know, his uncle Quark at times. Um Garrick being this ex-spy who no one knows when they can trust and when is he lying when is he telling the truth and just you know i man i would have loved to know more about him every time he was on screen he was kind of like guinan for me where i just wanted more yeah you know? exactly and the supporting characters of ds9 even like the jedzia dex i know she was a main level character and a command level character but even her integration with the cast and crew, the discussion with the, the Dax symbiont, uh, the um, the first lesbian kiss on TV, I think it was, was her. Mm-hmm. And they did it in a way that was romantic. I mean, she encountered her symbiont's former lover. I mean, and the symbionts transmit those emotions and those memories and those thoughts. So it's 
it's like that makes perfect sense why she would want to do that. It's because her symbiont or whatever was with her for 20 years or something and she encounters her again. It's like they do all this stuff that, again, I love it when they're like, Peep, this is how people would react. And Nog, you know, he that the episode where, or the scenes where he's talking to Cisco about wanting to join Starfleet and Cisco thinks it's a big joke. And he's like, no, he's like, people always laugh at my father. And my, my best buddy Brent brought this up the other day. It's like, he's talking to Cisco about people laughing at my father. And, you know, a Ferengi with no wealth is no Ferengi at all. Rule of acquisition 18 or whatever. And he's like, my father would be an excellent engineer in Starfleet. I want to go to Starfleet because I want to be better than what I am. I mean, that's, the characters have these goals and they try to achieve them and that it's great. And you remember the episode with uh, what was it? Duet. I think it was season one or two with the uh, Cardassian that was pretending to be the one death camp person, but he was actually, oh, he was actually right. like the administrative assistant. Right. Yeah. And he surgically yeah. altered himself and Kira figures it out. And she's like, why are you doing this? And he's like, don't you understand? You know, Cardassia has to be punished. I have to be punished. It, the only way Cardassia will grow is if we look at the Bajorans and we admit what we did and, and we apologize. And that was a huge scene. I mean, it's obviously he's it's a reference to the Holocaust. And mm-hmm. for a Cardassian to say, the only way for my people to grow is to admit what we did and, apologize and beg for forgiveness. I mean, that's just... Even the secondary minor characters that are only on for one episode still impact fans 20 years later. That was, I think, the key of Deep Space Nine, though, was that storytelling. It was very intense. It was very raw. It was very controversial topics. You know, the Maquis are a terrorist organization that they give a voice to that at times you're like, you know what? They've got a good point. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And there's even a moment, you know, uh, where, where Cisco destroys the atmosphere of a planet just to get to his ex-Starfleet buddy who turned Maquis. And in that moment, Cisco almost becomes an enemy. No, that's right. It's like he's willing to show how far he's going to go because he's worried about the Maquis starting another war, essentially. And, and it's just that's just such a different character from Picard or Kirk. I mean, sure, Kirk doesn't always listen to orders, but he doesn't listen to orders when he goes back in time to save the planet. Um, Picard almost always, you know, took, you know, listened to his orders. And if he didn't, he was so diplomatic about it. He was certainly not going to destroy a planet. And Cisco is just so much more aggressive and, and raw of a personality. You know, he's just a, uh, a more aggressive individual than, than Picard is and was willing to risk the lives of a lot of people to get to the guy he wanted. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I think that's a great way to transition to Voyager because, you know, Voyager had its dark tones, but not really to the level of DS9. And DS9 is considered, I think, I think DS9 is the highest rated overall on most websites, like IMDb and Metacritic. I think it's the highest one um, on average. That wouldn't surprise me. And of course, it, you know, there was the the Babylon 5 controversy. And you know what? I'm going to say it. I love Babylon 5. If you're a Star Trek fan and you haven't seen (laughs) Babylon 5, it's on Netflix. It's uh, on Amazon Prime. Go watch it. No, there's nothing wrong with Babylon Five, and it was a coincidence that the two shows had the similarities that they did. They were being made at the same time. You know, there's actually a, a cut scene. Well, a cut scene. It's a behind the scenes humor footage on Babylon Five. There was an actor on the show that was like a, a guest star quite a few times, 
and he was supposed to guest star on Babylon 5, but he was he was the uh, Admiral Layton on the episodes in DS9 when like Earth is trying to turn militaristic and overthrow the president. He's that actor. And the scene on Babylon 5, they're asking like, "Oh, where's General Haig?" Oh, he had the he was on DS9 this week. He couldn't be here. And it was just I always still laugh at that. Cuz he was on <laughs> he was on both shows at the exact same time. That is pretty funny. But let's go That's to let's go to one of your strongest points. Let's go to Voyager. Yeah. So for those who don't listen to the show too often, I I do love Voyager. I really do. Um, I've probably I find it the most rewatchable. It's just the easiest to put on. Um, and part of that's the episodic nature and the fact that it's not quite as sterile and rigid as TNG is. Um, but Voyager was a show that wasn't quite sure what it wanted to be, right? Because you brought in the Maquis and had this opportunity for this unique split crew that they barely ever touch on. I mean, there's a couple of episodes where they talk about conspiracies and things like that. But overall, those issues are resolved pretty soon. And by season you know, three, it's like it never happened. Um, but that show was a little more chill. It has a couple amazing episodes. Um, you know, when the doctor for example, is, is losing his mind uh, and they have to decide, you know, whether to reset his memory or not. You know, Voyager is kind of the ethics show of Star Trek. It focuses on the right and wrong of interacting with others and what it means. It focuses on the, 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 the data question of what does it mean to be sentient, to be alive, to be a being uh, with a doctor. And, um, you know, it has the reset button a little bit harder than most of the other shows do. Uh, but, uh, you know, overall, it's it's a pretty even tone throughout. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And uh, I know Voyager's probably, I mean, probably Voyager and Discovery are the two shows with the most varying opinions. I think Enterprise didn't get the fan following just because of the unusual timing, time slots on people when people are watching it. But the Enterprise fans I've met are pretty distinctly in the back, in the back in the ball court of Enterprise. But Discovery and Voyager seem to have both ends of the spectrum to like loud levels. People that champion yeah. Voyager or people that are just downtrodden and you know hate Voyager with the passion of a thousand suns. Um, I think I think that's almost a mark of a of at least a creative show. I like that they did the exploration in the Delta Quadrant. I always enjoyed that. Every week they could create basically a new alien and there's no, they're not risking anything with the storyline or canon, but it's just, Hey, new alien, this alien's like this. And what do you know? It's, uh, they're kind of like humans, but they have forehead ridges, just like Klingons or something. I don't know, but they can do that. And they were willing to take chances on that. And they had some pretty good storylines at Taboot when they were creating these stories, creating this alien stuff or the new, the new species they encounter in the Delta Quadrant. We got to see all stuff we've never seen before. I mean, the thing with Voyager is that it, the characters are all very specific. Um, they're a little archetypal in ways, and I think maybe that rubbed people the wrong way. Um, but I think you have to give the show an opportunity to watch these characters grow from that. And Tom Paris is a perfect example. Tom Paris starts off as the jerk flyboy who had been arrested for pulling a stupid stunt that got somebody killed and... And all of that. But by the end of the show, he's this loyal, uh, determined, you know, talented officer who's, 
you know, ready to even be promoted to first officer in a couple of situations. He's got a kid, he's married, um, he's really coming to his own. And it's an interesting character because his home is the ship. It's Voyager. Everybody's trying to get home. He is home. There's nothing back home for him on Earth. Um, but then on the flip side, you've got a guy like uh, Kim, Harry Kim, who is the longest en- running ensign in Starfleet because the poor guy can't get a promotion. Uh, which is hilarious because Tom gets demoted and then re-promoted on the show. <laughs> Faster than Harry Kim does. Um, but, you know, Harry is this, you know, it's his first mission and on this first crew and he's, you know, young and untested. But, man, is that guy tough and uh, determined and, you know, willing to do what it takes. And you've got the half-Klingon who hates her Klingon side and... Uh, a Native American character and uh, bringing Vulcans back was really cool because TNG and uh, DS9 did not focus on Vulcans very much. Um, and I kind of missed that. I really find Vulcans very fascinating, uh, pun intended. And, um, you know, seeing Tuvok was really cool uh, on the show. Um, the Doctor is absolutely one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek what he's able to become from what he started as his journey of being this emergency medical hologram to having to take uh basically a skin graph from uh his creator's hollow projection to the mobile emitter and um the conflict when he chooses to save his friend over another patient when it was a 50 50 shot is just a really interesting story that i don't think the other star trek shows had an opportunity to tell that yeah maybe voyager could have done some of those things better um maybe they spent too much time on the borg maybe the borg children were not the best thing in the world but voyager has some really strong stuff that the other shows did not touch on well i always liked the bits of realism they added in about having you know issues with like power supplies and food and limiting the replicator use and limiting holodeck use i like that because that feels real you know my complaint with like the uh the Star Wars prequels, aside from obvious other complaints, the Star Wars prequels, um, even though they're fighting the Clone Wars, it's like there's no negative side effects on the capital world. It's like everybody's still mm-hmm. happy flying around all the stuff. Voyager simply gets thrown halfway across the galaxy, and they're like, all right, we got problems. We got to cut this. We got to cut this. We got to stop this. We got to do this. Like, again, that's what people would do. They would find ways to conserve what they can to increase their likelihood of getting home. And plus, yes. it was fun just seeing them interact in the kitchen and having to deal with real food, and they're all like, Man, I don't know how you survived out here, Neelix. This is garbage. And he's like, "All right, all right, oh, I'm getting better. I'm learning. I'm learning your recipes." I mean, that's that stuff's kind of fun. And I loved again. I love some of the secondary characters like Kess. I thought she was a great actress, and she was gorgeous. And when they started letting her be herself, I thought it added a lot to the characters or to the overall storyline. Um, I was always a huge fan of Tuvix, of Tuvix, of Tuvok, um, but and, and Tuvix, but. Again, it's like the characters that I, I, you know, in Next Generation, I was a Captain Card fan, DS9, uh, I was kind of like a, like an Odo, Jedzia Dax fan, I still love Cisco, and it's like Voyager, I was leaning, always leaning towards, you know, Tuvok, Kess, the Doctor, and Janeway, I actually understood, I know Janeway gets some hate, but I actually, I understand her as a captain, she's like, I gotta get my crew home, and that's, again, that's a human emotion, it's, that's something that's real. I'm going to do what it takes to get my people home. I don't like every decision she makes, but I understand 
her mentality, and I and I do enjoy, I do like that about her. Well, so I tell people that I want to be Picard. That's who I want to grow up to be. But if I had to serve under one of these people, I want to serve under Janeway because you're right. She she wants to get her people home, and she will do what it takes to do that. But she's going to do it the right way. She's not going to compromise her values to do that. She's not going to hurt other people to do that. And her integrity was always incredibly important to me and the, and the tone of that show that, yeah, we'll get home, but we're not going to destroy other lives to do it. Remember when Q wanted to have uh, a baby with Janeway? Oh man. Well, that's, <laughs> that's just so much fun. <laughs> She's um, like, Oh God, no, 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 no. But one of the cool things about Voyager is something that, you know, I guess maybe they took a little bit from Deep Space Nine, but it's the fact that most of the the, the big cast are not Starfleet officers, right? You've got, you know, Neelix and Kess, who are obviously not Starfleet. You've got Chakotay and Balana, who are ex-Starfleet, you know, now Maquis. Um, you've got uh, Tom, who's a convict. And, you know, the doctor's a hologram who's not really an officer at the beginning either. He doesn't even have, you know, his own real personality when he's initially turned on. Um, the, and, and then, of course, you have Seven later who she, she's obviously not Starfleet either, uh, having been assimilated as a child. You know, so you're talking about a show where really Janeway is, and, and Harry Kim and Tuvok are the only main cast members who are Starfleet. That is a damn good point, and it's the only time they've ever really done that. You know, and that's really cool. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, Deep Space Nine did that a bit too, right? Because, you know, Cisco and Jadzia and O'Brien, and I guess Bashir, are Starfleet, but Kira's not, Odo's not, uh, Quark is not. Um, you know, and of course you have Garrick on, on the station too, and, and all of that. So they focus on a lot of non-Starfleet characters, um, but Voyager, I think, did it the most. I think you're absolutely right. And they kept, they were willing to keep adding characters, too, that they thought were going to help the storyline. And that's something most shows didn't really... I mean, Next Generation tried it with Ro Laren, but they couldn't figure out what they were going to do with her. And DS9 did it a little bit with, like, the addition of Worf and uh, Esri Dax. But it's like every season in Voyager, they were adding somebody that would end up becoming a main part of the crew. Now, Enterprise is one of those shows that, I, I think you kind of touched on this before, that... Most people just didn't watch and just assume it's bad because it was canceled. Um, but people who have watched the show actually tend to enjoy it. And I'm one of those people. Uh, like most of those people, I pretend the finale didn't happen. Uh, but Enterprise was an interesting show because it had a personality conflict from the beginning. Where UPN decided to launch the show without the Star Trek name. If you watch the first season of the show as it originally aired, it's just called Enterprise. They added Star Trek in season two. And they really went out of their way to rename things. You know, they're, you know, with, uh, you know, everything was just slightly named differently. Like, you know, their photonic cannons and stuff like that. Uh, they had, you know, the uh, um, polarizing the whole plating. They didn't really have shields yet and stuff. Um, and I get that the, you know, part of that was to show the evolution of it, but they had trouble with, you know, the Suluban or uh, the Zindi showing all of these species that we would never see again in future shows. Um, you know, they touched on the temporal cold war, but that didn't really pan out the way they wanted it to. Um, they, they tried this, 
they they took a total left turn in season three and did the season-long Zindi arc, which I think is some of the best Star Trek that that's out there, along with some really great like three-episode arcs in season four. Um, but it was dark, and Archer was pushed to the edge. I mean, there's an episode, I forget what the part is that they need, but it's in season three. They're trying to stop the Zindi. They're the only ship to do it, and they need some part, uh, and they steal it. They straight up steal it from a oh, civilian yeah. vessel. Yeah, you're because, right. Because... You know, millions of lives are at stake. Millions of lives are at stake. And Archer has to make that decision. And people vilified him for that and compared him to Picard and, and Janeway. And that's unfair because they were never in that position. No, I mean, Earth had just had, what, 7 million people killed from an alien race that they didn't know about. And they had no chance of stopping. And they barely have an idea of where that alien race is from. And they're trying to figure out how to stop this from happening again. I mean, yeah, there were times where Voyager had an opportunity to take advantage of somebody else to get home, but that was only for the good of a hundred, you know, one hundred and forty people. Um, Archer had the fate of Earth on his shoulders with one dingy little ship that could sometimes go warp five, <laughs> and a crew of like fifty people. Um, nobody else had that. Picard had the flagship of the Federation with a thousand people on board, you know, when the Federation was at its peak during a time of peace and, um, Archer was pushed to the edge. And I think it was really interesting to, to check that out, to look into that. I mean, there was a, the, the dear doctor episode, you know, has to do with the prime, the, the, the beginnings of the prime directive and non-interference where, you know, they withhold a cure from a species you know, and that's super controversial. Um, you know, you had the Terra Prime, which had to do with xenophobia and whether or not, you know, interspecies relations is okay. But we all know that was about interracial relations. Um, you know, Enterprise touched on some real stuff once it found its footing. But I think the executives at the network weren't sure what to do with it. Yeah, I think that was their, they were like their own worst enemy. And it's hard to put a tone on Enterprise because it took them a couple seasons to really get their foot set in the ground on what they wanted to do. And by the time they started really hitting their stride with better episodes, better ratings, more views, that's when they, they canceled it. And so they had to rush yeah. the finale. They had to rush the endings. And it, the ending feels rushed. So Enterprise is that show where, yeah, like you, I think you said it best. It's people who never saw it didn't like it. People who did see it enjoyed it. Yep. That's, that's basically how I feel about it. And, you know, it's a sad situation because the plans for season five to touch on the Romulan War and the ship was going to get a refit with a secondary hull was going to be really cool. I mean, I was really looking forward to that. Um, but, you know, that's just not what we got. And we ended up with a very, in my opinion, poorly done, disrespectful finale uh, for the show and the cast and crew involved. But, uh, you know, Enterprise is kind of in a weird place. So... Now, we're kind of hitting our hour mark here. Do you still want to touch on Discovery? Well, I mean, I think we've only got the one season of Discovery, and we did all the all the episode reviews. I think it's safe to say that Discovery is also still similar to Enterprise. It's still finding out exactly how it wants to be, how it wants to be episodic versus character-driven, and it's still really trying to set its own tone right now. Yeah, I agree with you there. So maybe we'll touch on discovery and the kelvin movies the kelvin timeline some other time then and we can wrap things up today sounds good to me
All right. Well, thank you so much for listening in to Red Shirts and Runabouts this week. We are part of the Heroes Podcast Network. If you have any thoughts about the shows, the tones, anything we've said that you agree or disagree with, please reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter at RedShirtsPod, or you can find us at HeroesPodcasts.com or at HeroesPodcasts on Facebook and Instagram. The show Red Shirts and Runabouts is also available on Apple Podcasts through iTunes, Google Play, uh, and anywhere else that you can drop an RSS feed. So please subscribe. If you drop us a review on iTunes, because that's still the number one place people get podcasts, we will be sure to give you a shout out on the show. Uh, Greg, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at the underscore bittersteel. Fantastic. And I am the Star Trek dude. On Twitter, you can also find me on Screen Heroes, which is our movie TV show here on the uh, Heroes Podcast Network, where we talk a lot about uh, movies and television, and we do it live on Tuesday nights. So please check that out. Anyway, we will be back next week. We'll catch you later. See ya. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.